The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. Big show today, Justin Mello from Music City Miracles. He's their draft analyst. He will be making his annual pre-draft appearance on our show in just a bit. But we've got plenty of news to talk about before Justin hops on with us. And we're going to start off with this uh, Fox Sports is it best NFL fan base? Is that the criteria that this poll is? Uh, yes, uh, I believe so. Or yeah. like best, yeah. So, best so Twitter fo- fan base, maybe? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. So, so. So Fox Sports NFL tweets out this poll, I think it was last week, maybe the week before that, and it's seeded based on how many Twitter followers the NFL teams have. The Titans were like mm-hmm. one of the, the very bottom seeds in this. And the Titans have made it now to the championship round, which will be against the Cleveland Browns. And they did it after a comeback effort against the Buffalo Bills that was so rapid that it got a Buffalo Bills beat reporter. And I'm trying to find this guy's name so that I can not call him out, but at least give a name to the to the There's take. like Salk Capaccio or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sal Capaccio. Some sort of some sort of ham, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, well, Sal Capaccio, who's a Bills beat reporter, has said that he has it on good authority that some Titans quote bloggers and podcasters bought tens of thousands of votes in the Fox poll. So a couple of things need to be said. Number one, it wasn't us because I don't think any of us care enough. Number two. Uh, if that happened, because we looked up, you know, the going rates for Twitter poll votes on the on the dark web, and it's about six hundred sixty dollars worth for what the Titans would have needed to get over that hump. And the third thing about this is, why in the world are conspiracy theories being presented for a totally meaningless Twitter poll? I really don't know. And, and just like this guy's coming out and saying, I have it on good authority. Yeah. He's uh, not saying I'm reporting. He's saying I no. have a hunch. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't even like say like sources breaking. That, yeah. that would have been funny. And then two hours ago, he tweets uh, going on, I guess, a radio station uh, to talk about my first mock draft. I don't think this Titans Bills fan poll thing will come up, but who knows? It has certainly made Twitter and three fire emojis so i legitimately think this guy just just made that up just to like get a rise out of titans fans and just kind of you know go viral a little bit uh i may be wrong maybe people actually paid paid to get twitter votes for something that doesn't even 
matter at all within the grand scheme of things. But I, I really find that hard to believe that someone would someone would do that. Yeah, it feels much more likely that he saw the bills trending on Twitter and clicked on it for the first time and was like, oh, what can I say about this? And then he just saw all the gifs of the Music City Miracle and he was like, they cheated. That's what happened. And like just cited a random, like didn't even cite, was just like, I have it on good authority, which who would be the inside source there? Nobody. I mean, it, it's just, it's asinine, like from the top of the bottom. I, I don't, the only thing worse than cheating to win a competition nobody cares about is being the team that gets beat by the cheaters who cries and complains and yes. gives all these conspiracy theories. I just crunched some numbers. The average household income in the state of Tennessee is just over $51,000. And so for someone to have purchased these Twitter votes would have been 1.3% of the average annual household income in Tennessee. Oh, my God. Well, clearly it was a collective effort. Everyone chipped in. Yes. I even saw a GoFundMe at one point. <laughs> Go fund me for fake Twitter votes. <laughs> I mean, my my question is like I understand like the the uh, the bots to follow people. I guess it's the same way. Like you just unleash bots to go vote for these polls if you understand how to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I don't know how it works. I really have no idea. It's it seems very sketchy as it is. I can't believe uh, there's a market for it. Like it, it like. <laughs> Who was like, oh, these polls are outrageous. Somebody needs to help rig them and just design <laughs> that. It just it, uh, it just seems so crazy to me. Man, I'm really not surprised, though. Bills fans are like a really, really petty fan base. I, I remember in that game against the Bills, um, I tweeted from the Titans account, something like uh, about Nick Williams or something and that, like how we blew it. Um, and then random Bills fans jumped in the – into our mentions and they were just like wow can't can't give the bills credit any defense it, <laughs> it was defense any credit I'm it like, was so funny awesome. and so petty at the same time like all the titans fans were like you know, music city miracle beat that okay that was like 25 years ago and yeah. then the second the, the bills fans would be like yeah but y'all lost the super bowl by one yard and then the titans fans would say yeah but y'all went four times and lost all four times and yeah. the bills fans would be like well how many times did you win they'd be like same time like it was just ridiculous <laughs> these interactions that were going on meanwhile patriots fans are like look at these two idiots exactly <laughs> exactly awful. I mean, it, it was like the like the uh, the classic like two kids in middle school like you're an idiot no you're an idiot like that's what was going on on Twitter during this oh man so Twitter our, our second story that we want to lead off with is something that I'm very passionate about uh, this cherry tree nonsense so the NFL when they bring the NFL draft to downtown Nashville in three or so weeks. We'll be bringing with them some chainsaws, I guess, to uh, cut down cherry trees in downtown Nashville. I, number one, I didn't know there were cherry trees in downtown Nashville. <laughs> and I, I've, I've lived in Middle Tennessee my whole life. Um, so that, there's that. But number two, the reaction to this has been almost absurd. Uh, Will, I think you have some some thoughts on that front. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to censor myself as much as I can because <laughs> in our 
in our messages, I was not as kind. Oh, before the, um, before the show, we were not censored talking about this. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't live in Nashville. Like I, I, I don't really have any dog in the fight, but the city of Nashville as a whole really wanted the draft to come. They really wanted the national attention and the notoriety and all the money that brings. And you should. You should want the city of Nashville to be seen as a, you know, a national city, not just a small place in the middle of Tennessee. Who cares? Your goal as Titans fans and for, as, I guess, Nashvillians or, or whatever you all call yourselves in general should be to expand the profile of your city. And in exchange, the NFL was going to cut down or move, I guess, 10 cherry trees, cherry blossom, whatever they are, and they were going to immediately replace them after with new ones. And the city of Nashville lost their mind. And I, I know I know it's all fake. I know y'all really don't care. I, I know three <laughs> people might care and the rest of you don't. But you kind of see this bandwagon to jump on and you're like, yeah, it is wrong that they do that. Shut up. It, it does not matter. <laughs> yes. that there is, it, there is no ramification on your life. You know, everybody's like, when the, when the draft leaves – you know, those trees still won't be there. Yeah, but the new ones they plant will, and they'll be fine. <laughs> like, nobody should care. If you weren't spending your time under the trees or taking pictures of them or around them all the time anyway, it will not affect your daily life at all, and you'll probably forget you were fake outraged over this as soon as the draft leaves. It, don't make a fool of yourself, Nashville. Like, this is one of the few times where, you know, all eyes are on you, the sports world has a chance to change the way they view you, which for every, you know, school in Tennessee, you know, and pro team, every sports fan base has been wanting Tennessee to get more attention forever. And you get a chance to have one of the biggest offseason events in any sport come to your town and celebrate it. And you're just going to jack around and worry about, you know, 10 cherry trees. Shut up. Yeah. My thing with this is, is for those who are so opposed to this, what is the reason? Is it a cosmetic thing? Is this a you know green tree hugger? I know that's probably not a politically correct term, um, but like well, yeah, that, is that the tr- like what's the drive here? Because like I remember in middle school, I had a teacher who his catchphrase was "kill a tree" because he wanted the students to use more paper on stuff. And the thing is, like, you do realize that when people, like, make paper, they're not, like, going into Yellowstone with a chainsaw and just chopping down the trees. Like, they have their own farm. So what exactly is being lost in this? Because I keep seeing, like, oh, Nashville's losing its identity for the NFL draft. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> give it, give it a couple of weeks and no one will notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a really big tree guy. I, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know the effects. Uh, but it really does seem, especially in this day and age, uh, I, I don't know, I don't want to anger every anyone, but it, it seems like people get just outraged about, about anything. It's like uh, they're looking for something to get offended yeah. or, or be upset about. Yeah, and it happens in all walks of life. Uh, and this is really just just another another version of uh, what society has kind of become. Um, I'm sure they already set up a, a, a GoFundMe just like 
our uh, Twitter poll people did <laughs> uh, yes. to, to save these trees. I, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like I, I understand uh, the environment needs to be a priority, but it's it's 10 trees, 20 trees. It, I don't think it's it's that big of yeah. a deal. We've talked a little bit on here about the uh, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, this startup, basically minor league football program. Uh, and unfortunately today, it is folding. Um, Aditi Kinkabwala from the NFL Network just tweeted out the email that was apparently sent recently to AAF employees telling them that those who aren't further contacted will be terminated tomorrow, tomorrow being Wednesday, April 3rd. But there's this thing in there, like, kind of subtle hint, like, you know, should our efforts to restructure work out, we hope to see you all back next year. Like, you know, like at the end of summer camp, like, see you next year. It's just, it's sad. I think, we, we talked a little bit about this before the show. I think it's less sad for the players because for a lot of them, their NFL dream was already a fringe thing anyway, and now they can kind of officially move on from that. But for the uh, for the staff members, like I'm talking about, like you know the people that the work reporters. in the yeah the reporters, the people that work in the front office. A lot of these people had just left a job to pursue this new AAF opportunity, and and now they don't have a job when it felt like four or five months ago that they were getting a promotion. And I know, Matias, you, you, you work for uh, uh, Miami FC out in, in Miami, and you were saying before the show that you nearly encountered a, sim- a similar situation to that. Correct. Not exactly that, that we were going to fold um, as a team, um, but what our league, our initial league, it was the North American Soccer League, um, they did fold. Um, in, in 2017, I, and we had to join a new league, um, and it kind of threw everything for a loop. Um, a lot of people lost their jobs or, or around the whole country, so uh, it was kind of a similar situation, um, and it really does suck. And even I, I applied for a job uh, with the AAF, with the Orlando Apollos, uh, to be their team reporter, um, and I can only imagine if I had gotten that job, and then six weeks later, boom, that's it. You're, you're on your own, and you got to find work again. Um, you uprooted your entire uh, entire livelihood t- to go pursue this opportunity, and, and then it's just dead because um, because the owner uh, was losing seventy million dollars, and and he just decided that it, it was it was time to pull the plug. It, it's really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean it, it sucks, and I don't I don't understand people who are excited about it or you know, ready to say, I told you so. All this means is we get less real 11-on-11 football. It's more arena league and stuff that nobody watches anyway. So instead of getting something that could have grown into some, you know, minor league or developmental league or something to make the NFL product better and give us something to do in the offseason, I mean, now, now we don't have that. So there's a bunch of people that are hurt, obviously us least of all, but nobody should come out uh, come out of this and think like wow like i'm glad gra- i'm glad i was right that that thing failed it's like i mean it, th- there's a good chance that if the xfl fails we'll never see another spring league so i guess if you enjoy football you either want a you know 25 week regular season and a postseason or you're just fine with having half the year off from it 
And I mean, ultimately, yeah, like it's it's fine. Like nobody's dying because they're missing six months of football. But it is more enjoyable when football's around. And you know, one outlet that was offering to give us that for two months is closing down. So uh, it's it's sad. I don't enjoy any part of this. Uh, it, it just you know it was doing better ratings than baseball games and you know all this stuff. I don't understand how it couldn't be financially viable or what the plan was going in, like how successful they wanted it to be. But uh, I, I think this is bad news for everybody. I, I don't, I think the XFL has a much better opportunity um, because they seem a lot more prepared um, and they've taken a lot of time out um, over the last, I don't even know how many years it's been a while. Um, but the AAF just seemed really rushed. Um, a lot of it happened really quickly uh, the announcement of the teams and, and then just starting the season immediately after the Super Bowl. It, it seemed rushed. It didn't seem like they were prepared. Um, I think like a, a week or two before the season, they needed a new a, a new owner and investor to come in, kind of save the league. Um, and, and now it's done. I really think they didn't do a good job preparing for this. Uh, and I think the XFL could take a lot of... Um, a lot of solace in what happened, not solace, but they, they could take away a lot from what happened and, and apply it to, to their league. The XFL has to go after bigger names. Like that. I think that's what we came out with more than anything is if they're going to have something that survives this springtime summer, they can't go in there and say, you know, these are the best of what's left and we're excited to show them to you and they'll get better. We promise. Cause well, that's what the AAF said, you know, that they said these are guys who, you know, had a chance and messed up, or these are guys who were on practice squads who deserved better, and they weren't wrong. Like there were guys in that league that showed some talent, but if you don't have superstars, like legit impressive athletes who can actually play football and who could play at the NFL level and be good, you're gonna fail. So they're gonna have to do something different, whether that means going after like i don't know the mvp of the cfl or whether that means going after freshmen coming out of college they're going to have to do something different and they don't have much time to adapt so i don't know what's going to happen to them but i don't have any high hopes except for the fact that vince mcmahon has something like 500 million dollars ready to invest in the xfl because he got a big new deal for moving smackdown to it doesn't matter, but he, he has a bunch of money to spend and he seems committed and hell bent on making this thing work. So at least we should get a year of it. But so as we move into our draft discussion, before we bring uh, Justin onto the show, I, I want to hit on this one idea about the Titans draft. And, and we kind of talked about it last week because last year when we did our draft previews, we did a, an inside linebacker preview and then we did an edge rusher preview. Because it was pretty clear that the Titans were going to be going with one of those two positions in the first round and ended up they went uh, inside linebacker first round and then edge rusher second round. This year, though, we can't really do that because of the nature of this draft. And I don't know if they you know, necessarily have more needs this year than they did last because for the most part it is the same roster. But there's so many different directions, I think, that the Titans could go in the first round this year. I think there's like maybe five positions I could see them going with. So like in, interior offensive line, tight end, receiver, edge, and uh, and defensive line. So that's five. Uh, I don't think they would go another direction. 
Um, but that's like that's that's a a big uh, a big net uh, in terms of of the direction they could go in. Um, and you're right. I I really am not sure. I don't even know what I want them to go with. It's it's obviously going to depend on on how the board falls um, and, and whether they they want to trade up or maybe trade down or, or stay stay there. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't have a personal preference right now. Um, yeah, and you're right. I don't, I don't think I don't think this draft is going to be like the past few uh, that we've seen from John Robinson, where he's attacked specific positions um, and just really targeted them hard, especially last year when he traded up um, for Harold Landry. Matthias, what were those five positions you're referring to? Tight end, uh, interior what? offensive line, yeah, receiver, edge, and D line. Yeah, I think that's right on the nose. Will, what do you think? Uh, I'm I'm kind of a different of a different opinion. I don't think there's really that many needs, and I think based on John Robinson's history of if you have a hole on the roster, you fill it in the first round, and then you go after talent later. I would assume that the first need he's going to actually address, whether I like it or not, is right guard. Uh, because they, they're just not now that, one. That's an interesting take. Why do you think that? It, okay, so I wrote this long article about why John Robinson does the things he does. And when he drafts in the first round, he always drafts for an obvious need. The Titans desperately needed a cornerback, and they needed a wide receiver, and that's what they did two years ago. Last year, they let Avery Williamson go, and they needed a new person to fill those 1,000 snaps. So they got Rashawn Evans. They traded up to get him. I'm assuming because not only because they knew that the Steelers would take him, but because they had a list of four linebackers they wanted. And when three were off the board, they moved up for the only other one they had a first round grade on. So uh, even going back farther than that in the Jack Conklin draft, like we all knew that offensive tackle was an issue. Like they went and talked to Laramie Tunsil. They talked to Conklin. They talked to the uh, offensive tackle Decker Taylor mm-hmm. Decker from. Uh, Ohio State, it and it made sense. Like that was the reason why uh, every coach had either gotten fired, or I mean, specifically why uh, Wisenhunt got fired. But you couldn't go into next season with Patasi as your starting right tackle. Like we all knew that. So protecting Mariota was the goal. As much as it would have been fun to draft Joey Bosa, it was always going to be Tunsil or a trade down. And they ended up trading down because they didn't think Tunsil was very good. And you can tell that because they traded up for Jack Conklin because they really didn't want to wait and get stuck with Laramie Tunsil. Uh, So, you know, he's always drafted for a very clear position where there's a bunch of snaps to be had. And And that position is probably edge rusher. But but you do make a good point in that, you know, if they bring in a guard, it's probably to be a starter from day one, whereas an edge rusher, it's going to be someone in the mix with Landry and with Cameron Wake. Yeah, so uh, in, in the article I did, I think there were three positions that, uh, and then this was done before free agency, and the positions were left guard, which they filled with Saffold, and since then they've cut Klein, so I'm just going to move that to right guard. Uh, it was safety, and they re-signed Kenny Vaccaro, so that didn't become a need. And uh, I guess it was edge, because they were losing Iraq Poe and Morgan, and they brought in Cameron Wake and... I think they like Finch more than we know, uh, and they should. He, he's he's a really solid player, um, but he could probably. I mean, if you have a chance at a Pro Bowl caliber edge, you go after him in the first round. 
Um, and I said the one caveat that's different is wide receiver, and that's because it didn't really happen in a typical way. They didn't lose a free agent this offseason. They cut Rashard Matthews early, or he walked or whatever, however, you know, however that happened. So they ended up with, you know, they were planning on having this guy play a 1,000 snaps for the season and then either letting him go or retaining him at the end of this year. And that just kind of happened early. So I think those were those are, I guess, now the four positions that should be considered. And with safety gone and with edge kind of addressed, I think that shifts it to right guard and wide receiver. And adding uh, Adam Humphreys makes you need a boundary receiver, but not just any receiver. So I think the only position they didn't upgrade in free agency was right guard. So that kind of – yeah. In, and we can talk about specific players, but you can you can make you know you can squint your eyes and make that center if you imagine that Ben Jones can play right guard, even though that's not historically what John Robinson likes to do. But I, I can understand that motivation. So joining us now is Justin Mello, who I believe has made the switch from when we had you on last year. You're with Music City Miracles now as their kind of draft guru, isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah, with Music City Miracles, also still with the draft wire as well. And I know that your big thing with the draft b- leading up in terms of content is that you interview a lot of prospects. So I want to lead off kind of giving you this open-ended question of, I know you've done a lot of them so far. Who's maybe one or two that's been your favorite? Not necessarily because it was a big name, but because, oh my gosh, that guy was fun to talk to. Wow, yeah, that, that's a tough to answer. I'll be honest with you, and it, it may sound cliche, but... I thoroughly enjoy, I would say, about 95% of them. And I'm not just saying that. You know, I think people mm-hmm. who um, who maybe don't get a chance to speak to as many players sometimes think, oh, you know, this guy's going to be a diva or this guy's going to be this. But I've, I can honestly say I've had pretty much nothing but good experiences. But if I had to pick two uh, that stood out to me, I thought one that published recently was Darwin Thompson, running back, you know, bit of a day three guy, but really great kid. What I loved about him was he, he came from Juco, and, you know, it's always, I'm telling you, it's always interesting to talk to someone who came from Juco. Their experiences are so different. Their outlook on life is so different. And what I loved about him was he was very passionate. You know, he talked about how when he got to Juco, he thought that he was a failure in life, that, you know, that this is not where it was supposed to be. You know, he was a pretty, a pretty well-recruited guy coming out, but, you know, th- this is not where I'm supposed to be. And then he realized how much it changed his life, how much it helped mature him and, and make him smarter and kind of help him get perspective and an understanding on life. So I really enjoyed that. Another one um, that I would say that I really loved actually hasn't even published yet. I know you said it doesn't have to be a big name, but he happens to be one is Jonah Williams. Uh, I got to do him recently, a kid from Alabama, who you know, should go very early. He blew me away. I think his football knowledge um, was as strong as any prospect I'd ever spoken to. I asked him one question in particular about how he handles the speed rush differently from Bull, and he must have spoke for about seven minutes on that question alone, which I can promise you is very, very rare for the most part. So I can tell you that's a guy who's blowing the lid off uh, the interview room for every for every pro team that's interviewed him so far. So uh, those two probably stick out to me right now. So as we start the draft discussion in terms of uh, what the Titans are going to do, I think a good place to start is probably edge rusher. Not that that's necessarily where they're going to go, but I think there's a lot of varying opinions at that spot. 
as to who they should take. Because, you know, you see a lot on Twitter, like, well, if they go interior offensive line, it's got to be Bradbury from NC State. And if they go tight end, it's got to be Hawkinson from Iowa. But with edge rusher, there seems to be a little bit more up in the air. So just to kind of start things off, where are you mentally in terms of the Titans and the edge rusher position? Yeah, that's a very good point, Luca. I definitely think they need one, um, no doubt about it. I don't, I don't think they can go into the season with what they have right now. You know, Landry obviously being a very promising, um, you know, guy entering his sophomore year, can't ignore the fact that he's battled injuries the last two seasons and is going to be relied on, um, you know, quite heavily this year. I thought Cam Wake was a good free agent signing, but again, he's not a guy that you're going to play, you know, for 75% of the snaps uh, yeah. in a game. And then, you know, Sharif, yeah, you know, and Sharif Finch as well. And uh, Kamalai Correa, you know, two good role players for sure. But I don't think, again, you want them being more than, than what they were last year, which was role guys. Um, you know, and lucky for the Titans, this is potentially, the, you know, one of the deepest draft classes of all time when it comes to not only edge, but the D-line as a whole. I'm personally a big fan of Brian Burns, uh, you know, FSU. I think he's sort of your prototypical 2019, you know, you know, today's NFL edge rusher where, you know, the acceleration off the line, the burst is incredible, the bend you know, he's got as good, as good a bend as anyone does in this class. So he would be priority number one for me if he's there at 19. It's tough to say. You know, he tested quite well, but there do seem to be some people, uh, you know, in the circles that aren't quite as high on him as, um, you know, some of the media is. But for me, you know, he would be uh, option number one. Another guy who I don't think is getting enough love is uh, Farrell out of Clemson. You know, it almost seems like he's been too good for too long. Right? He's someone who's been dominant for so long there that. Yeah, that we've almost forgotten about him. I think he's a very good player. I don't think, you know, quote-unquote, he's as sexy as some of the others, and I think that may be why he doesn't get the love that he does. You know, he's not overly flashy. He's not a crazy speed-bend guy, but he gets the job done. Terrific technique, great hands, very powerful guy. I think he's going to be a very successful uh, rusher at the next level. And, and, you know, third, I would say Montez Sweat as well, of course, uh, Mississippi State. You know, he's a guy who probably won't be there at 19 anymore. He totally blew the door off the combine, tested completely through the roof. But for me, I would say those three would be my um, my top three edge rushers at 19. Hey, Justin, this is Matias. I uh, totally agree with your Brian Burns uh, love fest here. Well, we are huge fans of his. Uh, kind of wish he he hadn't even participated in the combine, so so he he would have fell. But <laughs> that's not going to happen now. Uh, so I remember last year we uh, we talked a little bit. I, I asked you about inside linebackers that you might like um, in the second and third round, maybe the fourth round. Uh, we talked about Darius Leonard and a little bit about Dorian O'Daniel. Uh, Leonard ended up going a little earlier, but um, it was definitely a position that the Titans uh, wanted to to hit on. Uh, they ended up doing it a little earlier than anticipated. Um, and I, I want to ask you about a position that they're probably going to address through the draft, uh, wide receiver. Uh, who are some of the, the mid-round guys, maybe second, third, fourth round, uh, that you could see them going after that, that might fall a little bit? Because it doesn't seem like there's really that surefire first-round guy that you would feel entirely comfortable with at 19. I, I mean, I, I have receivers that I like. Uh, part, I particularly like Kevin Harmon a lot, but he didn't have a good combine, and you, I could see him fall. Who are some of these guys that you could see the Titans targeting in, in the middle of rounds? Yeah, wide receiver's tough to predict this year, to be honest with you. You know, there's, first of all, there's a lot of 
fantastic prospects at receiver. I think we are, you know, potentially going to see, you know, you know, close to a record amount of receivers drafted in 2019 because there's there's so many good ones. I've already scouted about 33, 34 of them, and which is which is already a lot. And there's so many guys on my wish list to still go through. Uh, that's how deep this class is. But so it's, it's you know it's hard to say who's going to go in the first round. You know, would I be crazy to say guys like Nikhil Harry and Akeem Butler available at 51? You know, I don't think it's a stretch that one of those two. Um, you know, could, could, could end up available in the second round. You know, I think they'd be great fits Whereas for the Titans that obviously already have, uh, you know, a guy who's going to start in the slot, obviously, and, uh, and Adam Humphreys. We know Corey Davis is going to start at one of those outside spots. Because obviously that other outside spot right now where it's, you know, Tajay Sharp or, or Taewon Taylor, they want to upgrade there. I think a big, big-bodied guy like Nikhil Harry or Akeem Butler make a sense. Another Make a lot of sense, sorry. Another guy I really love is A.J. Brown out of Ole Miss. Uh, I think he's a guy who some are, you know, projecting is going to play in the slot, but I think he can absolutely play outside. Big fan of his, you know, obviously everyone has heard, you know, with DK Metcalf getting all the buzz at Ole Miss, uh, Brown was significantly more productive. Um, if we're going a little bit later, middle rounds, a guy that I'm really high on who I think is a starter outside is Keyshawn Johnson. He's a receiver out of Fresno State. I got about a round four or five grade on him. Really, really good player. Kind of reminds me a little of Kenny Galladay coming out where, you know, it may not be overly flashy, uh, but just really, really good at what he does. Very good route runner, great hands, um, you know, very, very well advanced at this point in his career. He's a guy I could see being a steal in maybe round four or five. Hey, this is uh, Will. Before we go to my question, what do you think about Antoine Wesley from Texas Tech? Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. You know, you're talking about a guy who, who's very, very large, right? Very big guy. Uh, you know, pretty special with the ball in his hands, considering his size. And I believe his yards for catch uh, or yards after catch, sorry, uh, is one of the things that's really impressive about him. Uh, I'm a fan. I probably got about a late, maybe a, a late four or five round on, maybe closer to five actually. I'd say about a fifth round grade on him. But I'm a fan. You know, good kid, good player. Um, very, very interesting. Like I said, very, very large guy, but he moves well for his size and, and he's a good route runner as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of his for sure. Great. Um, okay. So I think there's a good chance that we see three true edges and Rashawn Gary all go in the first eight, 10 picks. If it gets down to a scenario where Oliver and Ed Oliver, obviously, and Brian Burns are both there at 13 and the Dolphins are looking to trade down, would you rather go up to that position and get Burns or Oliver? Which one do you think would make a bigger impact on the team? Well, you're talking about two guys that I have uh, excellent grades on, but for me, um, I would go with Oliver over Burns. As much as I think the edge position is one that they have to address, um, I don't think the interior of the D-line is far off. You know, I think I, I've been saying for years that you know it's a shame they haven't been able to really pair Darrell Casey with someone next to him that could take a ton of attention off him. You know, the Quan Jones was like for a while that he, you know, was potentially going to be that guy. I think he took a bit of a step backwards last year. Uh, you know, Austin Johnson, unfortunately, hasn't really lived up to the draft billing. He's really been, you know, a solid run stuffer and rotational guy, but uh, really not someone that's going to command a ton of attention. Uh, so Casey's kind of on his own on that front. Oliver, for me, I've been all over him the entire time. I don't really understand what we're doing with him in terms of, Concerns. I mean, the tape, you know, the guy, to me, the guy's a blue chip talent. Uh, I, I would love to see him on this defensive line. So, as much as I like Burns, if I had to go up and get one of them, my choice is going to be Oliver. I want to take you back to what you talked about at the beginning when I asked you about the edge rushers. You brought up Brian Burns and Clellan Farrell, Burns from, uh, from Florida State and Farrell from Clemson. 
the thing that for me is the difference between those two players is their style of play. Burns is kind of that prototypical, more modern, lean, you know, speed rusher kind of guy. And Farrell, as you mentioned, is not the sexy guy. He's the win with technique. He's the win with power. Well, the Titans have in Harold Landry what they at least hope will be someone in that sort of speed, bendy mold. Do you think it's important for them to get someone to compliment Landry, someone like Farrell? Or do you think if they have a redundancy in having two of those guys, it's not that big of a deal? Because that's something we were kind of talking about before you came on is, you know, do you need a change up or can you just have two fastballs? Uh, I'll be honest, you know, I, I'd love to give you a clearer answer than I'm about to, but I land somewhere in the middle because don't get me wrong. I do like the idea of complimenting Landry with a feral or a sweat. Even I think sweats very much in that same mold where he's a powerful guy. Who's very good against the run, by the way, very, very, you know, essentially the best run defender out of all the edge players in this class. Um, so I do like the idea of putting someone on the opposite side, like a feral or sweats, who won't be, you know, a liability against the run. You know, not that Landry's a liability in my opinion, but it's not the strongest suit of his game. So I think that could be important. At the same time, I I, I would caution against overcomplicating it. Um, I think you know, it, keep it simple. Get guys who can get to the quarterback, affect the passing game, and really throw the offense off. Because look, as we know. NFL in 2019, it's all about the offense. You know, the amount of points that we were scoring last year, it's, you know, the, the game, the rules of the game are, are, are significantly skewed in favor of the offense, in my opinion. So uh, to me, it's put even a larger emphasis than ever before on getting guys. You know, look at the Kansas City Chiefs, for example. Not a great defense scoring-wise, but they were able to, you know, get, you know uh, generate a lot of turnovers and get to the quarterback, and that kept them in a lot of games. So I think don't overcomplicate it. If you can get a guy like Birds who can get to the quarterback and, you know, so be it. If he's the same player as Landry and they both end up with 10 sacks a year, you're not going to complain about it. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier um, before you came on uh, about the positions that the Titans are probably going to attack in, in round one, and there's a variety of them. Uh, but there are two in particular that um, I, I, it's tough to, like, gauge uh, what their value is because they, they've kind of become devalued um, in the NFL as the NFL has become more of a, of a pass-happy league. Um, and, and those two are, are interior offensive line or guard uh, and nose tackle. And we've seen in a lot of mock drafts the Titans get mocked um, uh, at both of these positions, either Garrett Bradbury um, at guard or center. Um, and Dexter Lawrence at nose tackle. Uh, how, how do you? What do you think the value is of these positions? And and do you think these types of players are worth a first round pick, or or, or if they should wait uh, to attack that at a later pick? Uh, for me, I do think interior offensive line is absolutely worth a first round pick. Um, the interior line was very bad last year. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, uh, you know, Klein didn't play his best ball. I know he was banged up a little towards the end of the year, but he was, you know, he was a liability with his injury out there. Ben Jones didn't have a great year at center. And, you know, I think while a lot of Titans fans like Clinton Spain, the team obviously didn't because they had no interest in bringing him back. And then when it came to bench one of the interior O-line, and he was the first one who, who got benched. So, and I, I really think um, how poor the, the interior played really affected Mariota. You know, I think it contributed to getting him hurt. I think it severely handicapped the offense. So I do think the Titans will, will take interior offensive line very seriously. I mean, we've already seen how they value it. They gave Roger Saffold a bunch of money to come in. 
uh, and play guard. So I, I think they'll seriously consider um, Bradbury or Lindstrom out of Boston College. I think those are two uh, very real possibilities in the first round, where in my opinion, and I could end up sounding like an idiot, but I don't think they'll consider nose tackle at all. I'd be really shocked if they spent their first round pick on, you know, Dexter Lawrence, who's 350 pounds. Yeah, he's a fine player to me, but I don't really see the first round value in, in, in pretty much anyone who's 350 pounds, to be honest with you. Not in today's game. And you can kind of, you know, it's not just my opinion. You can kind of see how John Robinson has valued nose tackle in his time. Um, you know, Sylvester Williams, you know, decent contract, but you know, he, he wasn't a crazy quick early freeze and signing that he threw a bunch of money. And, and then when that didn't work out and he cut him, Benny Logan, you know, last year came on a one-year deal, was pretty late into free agency to come play nose. So I feel the team's philosophy is they can get away with just having a guy at nose tackle. That's sort of what they've done throughout uh, this era. I'd be very, very surprised if they switched that up and spent 19 on a nose tackle. Man, you are preaching to the choir. That I've, I've been about how much I hate the Dexter Lawrence at 19 pick. I think it's ridiculous to get a nose right. who doesn't offer you anything in the pass rush at 19. I have been saying it for weeks at this point, and everybody we, we, we go through this every year. We went through it last year with Vita Vea. We went through yeah. with the Sylvester Williams signing every year. It's 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 ridiculous. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. It's oh, it's super frustrating. Yeah. I'd be, I, yeah, I'd be mind blown. I'd be totally mind blown. Yeah, it, I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. There's not a market for it. It's not that valuable to a team. Um, I, I won't won't bang the drum on this too much, but um, I've got a lot of either or questions for you because I've looked at your big board and I, I really like your rankings. I agree with most of them. You have Nikhil Harry rated above Hakeem Butler, or you did as of a week or so ago for the Titans specifically. Would you rather give them Nikhil Harry with his position versatility or Hakeem Butler with his matchup problems on the outside with his height and speed? Yeah, for me, I'm probably, you know, I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to give them who I feel is the, you know, the slightly better player. And I do have Harry, as you mentioned, higher on my big board than I do Butler. They're very close for me, but uh, I would go Terry. You know, he's someone, it's not like, it's not like, you know, Butler is 6'5 and Harry's 5'9, right? They're both big guys. Uh, for me, Harry's just a more complete prospect at this time. Very special with the ball in his hands, obviously. So that yard after catchability, some of the stuff he's put on tape is unbelievable. So I would give them Harry. I would say a guy who you know can play outside, uh, can move into the slot if need be. I mean, I can't see why they would need him there, but you can never have too many. Uh, you can't have too many guys who can play too many different positions, right? It's a good problem to have. So uh, I, I would go with Harry. Very, very high on him. And the drops kind of, you know, obviously I'm, I'm quite high on Butler. You've seen where he is on my big board. But, you know, he's had some drop issues. It was slightly concerning. I, I would go with Harry. Someone that uh, Titans fans and media members have really kind of pushed lately on Twitter, as I mentioned in the open, is TJ Hawkinson, the tight end from Iowa. Yet, personally, when I look at him compared to his teammate Noah Font, I don't see a ton of difference in value because obviously they're different players and they do different things, but I think Noah Font has the potential to be just as productive a player potentially as Hawkinson. So where do you stand on those players? Is Hawkinson as valuable as people have convinced themselves he is, and is he a fit with the Titans, do you think? Uh, You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm very excited and curious to see how their careers are going to play out uh, you know, I have Hawkinson quite high on my big board at, uh, I believe, number eight, I think. 
whereas I have Font at 10. So obviously I'm one of those guys who's just slightly higher on Hawkinson. But I think Hawkinson, you know, it's cliche. You've probably read it. But he does remind me a lot of George Kittle in the sense where he's a, you know, a very, very good blocker. And, um, and, and he's a weapon in the, in the passing game as well. Whereas, uh, you know, but I do think people are sort of underrating Font because, you know, Font's not the all-around, uh, you know, player that Hawkinson is. He's an absolute freak and a nightmare in the passing game. I, I don't think teams are going to be able to cover uh, Noah at the next level. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to shake out. Um, I do think Hawkinson's a good fit with the Titans. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they want to run the ball. Uh, I think Arthur, you know, new offensive coordinator Arthur Smith, obviously being a tight end coach, I'm sure he'd love to, you know, originally being a tight end coach, I'm sure he'd love to get his hand on either one of these players. And, uh, you know, with, uh, them wanting to, I think, you know, really focus on Derrick Henry this year, I think Hawk would be, a, you know, a great choice in terms of him coming in and being a, a plus blocker right away. And you can sort of, um, you know, they want to build on what they did last year offensively. I think you're not going to see a big change schematically from, from LaFleur to Smith. So I think, uh, you know, one thing that LaFleur really valued and goes back to his days with, you know, McVay uh, and even Shanahan is plays that, you know, formations that look the same, but you really can't decipher what's coming. You know, well, it looks like they're lined up to run and they pass. It looks like they're yeah. lined up to pass and they run. I think Hawk gives you a great amount of flexibility in that area where if he's on the field, you know, he can block someone into the sun as we've seen. And he's also a very, very good pass catcher. So I absolutely think Hawk would have a place on this team. And I think for, for, for Noah, there's a place for him on any team, you know, anyone who can is the mismatch nightmare that he's going to be. I think safeties and linebackers are going to have a really tough time with him. Um, but again, I'm, I'm very curious to see how their careers are going to play out because while Hawk seems to be getting the majority of the tension right now, you know, it's a pass happy league and, and Noah is just, been, you know, he, I think he's going to be a tremendous weapon in the passing game, certainly more so than Hawk in that area. Uh, I kind of want to get your thoughts on a player that, that the Titans were likely to target uh, before the pre-draft process started. Um, and, and once the once the draft process got going, he just completely imploded. Uh, I'm talking about Ja'Kai Polite from Florida, the edge. Um, just everything, everything seemed to go wrong during during the combine. Uh, apparently he did really bad in his interviews, got injured running the 40. Um, it has seemed out of shape in a lot of the pictures uh, at his pro day and even at the combine. Uh, he weighed in. Uh, he also weighed in uh, over what many believed uh, he was playing at. Um, but but when you look at his tape from this past year, he just he put it all together. Uh, he had 19 and a half tackles for loss, 11 sacks, uh, and he just looked like a legitimate game changer. Uh, he also forced six fumbles. He he was just a complete game wrecker uh, at the edge position. Um, but what do you do with a guy like that? Uh, and what, how would you rank him? Uh, and where do you see him going in the draft? Because it seems like he's just full of red flags. Uh, it, but that potential is just uh, oozing out of him. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate situation. Because like you said, I think the tape uh, clearly shows a first-round challenge. But every year, you know, the process seems to go wrong for someone that you're not expecting. And this year, unfortunately... It's been him, and I'll, you know, not to sound cheesy, but I feel sorry for him a bit because, you know, if he truly, you know, if the hamstring truly is a problem and he's going out and competing and trying to show he's tough, you know, of course the numbers aren't going to be as good as they, they should be, but regardless, you know, people are dogging him for it. I think the attitude thing, I think the combine thing was slightly blown out of proportion. Um, you know, a lot of what was circulating around Twitter was it came off as him complaining about, 
um, you know, teams showing his negative plays on tape and that he didn't like that. But you've actually seen the footage of him saying at the press conference, it felt kind of taken out of context. It didn't seem to have, um, you know, it, it, to me, it just wasn't rooted in, in, in negative or didn't deserve to be rooted in such negativity when you actually, you know, listen to him say it. But the process, of, you know, being honest, it hasn't been kind to him. You know, the weight of the pro day numbers were worse. Than the, four, than the combine numbers, which is just mind-blowing, right? Usually mm. you sort of get the home cooking at the pro day, and he didn't, and that's obviously very concerning uh, with everything else that had been going on. So I think obviously there's a first-round talent on tape, but unfortunately there's a lot of question marks there. Um, I, I don't, you know, and I've spoken to people uh, around the league who can confirm that, you know, it's, 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 the process has been a little concerning uh, for some people that I've spoken to. So, I don't think he'll go in the first round, if I'm being honest. I'd be very surprised if he did at this point. You know, I think he'll probably find a team uh, in the second or even, you know, no later than the third that will bet on that tape and that will bet on the traits that we've seen. You know, put him in a good situation, you know, good, strong locker room, good line coach to go ahead and, and try to coach him up. So I do think you'll see him available on day two. I'd be shocked if we got into day three, but I, I do think he'll go sometime on day two, whereas, you know, um, two months ago, he was a lock in the top 15. The Raiders are going to draft him for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gruden, Gruden, Gruden salivating. Yeah. So, uh, again, I told you I like to compare people. You have Eric McCoy pretty far down your list, uh, like a mid-second. You have him in, your, in the 40s, and you're very high on Bradbury. And, and I, I totally get it. Uh, Bradbury's an insane athlete. He looks great when he's blocking uh, in the outside zone stuff. He does things you don't see other centers do, reaching three techs and stuff like that. I, like I, I totally get that. But every time I watch him and really try to like him, I see a game like Clemson where Dexter Lawrence, who I, I'm not very high on, like we talked about earlier, but he keeps pushing Bradbury back in uh, the quarterback's lap, and it happens over and over and over again. And it's not just on pass protection. There's also times in, on, in the running game where he gets affected. That, that concerns me, whereas when I look at Eric McCoy, you know, he goes against Quinnen Williams, Jeffrey Simmons. He goes against the Clemson guys himself, and he doesn't look pretty doing it, but he's really effective. So – what separates them by like a full third, you know, a full 30, pit, I guess, selections or whatever, uh, where Bradbury, where you have him in the top 15 and McCoy's in the 45 range? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a very good point, and I'm glad you're questioning me on that. I think Bradbury, obviously, if there is a concern with him, it's the play strength. You know, just as you mentioned, there, there, do, there does seem to be a few too many occurrences for anyone's liking that. Um, you know, Dexter Lawrence will give him trouble. And, and, and not to get sidetracked, but I will say, as much as I dogged Dexter Lawrence at 19, it's not like I absolutely hate the guy. I don't think he's a first-rounder. I think he's a very fine, you know, I think I have him in the third round currently. But, uh, you know, obviously a very powerful player, and I'm not shocked that he can give a quality old lineman uh, difficulty like he gave Bradbury. You know, what I like about Bradbury for sure is, you know, Today's, uh, you know, today's NFL being athletic. He's a guy who's great on the on the move. Uh, as you mentioned, reaches the three Texas he can. Um, I think he's a great fit in the Titans' offense. That's not why I've ranked him, you know, twelve. Obviously, I'm looking at it as, a, you know, an overall uh, evaluation. But I think he's a great fit in that in that in their zone blocking scheme. Um, someone who I think is a very very plus athlete, very very good, very polished, which is why I have him where I do. I think the main thing would be uh, technique for me. Whereas, just as you said, McCoy. Um, while sometimes, you know, he, he doesn't look the best doing it, uh, he's still effective. Well, 
I think it's tough at the next level to get away with not looking the best doing it because if you don't look the best doing it, chances are you have technique issues. And what, no matter who you're playing, you know, I know he played some high competition in college, but if you have technique issues, guys in the NFL will whip you around. Uh, so that's my one concern on McCoy. I think he's got some things to clean up. With that said, don't get me wrong, I'm still very high on him. You know, anyone, if I have a second round rate on you, I'm high on you. You know what I mean? If you're, if I think you're a top 50 prospect in, in the nation, then I'm high on you. But that would be the main thing for me. I think there's some technique things there that separate them. Um, I would take Bradbury in the first round for sure. I, I think McCoy will get drafted in the first round, but my personal evaluation, I do have that, uh, you know, mid second on him. All right, uh, last thing, uh, Chris Lindstrom we talked about earlier. I really like him. I think Titans fans are kind of ignoring the fact that he would be the classic Robinson pick. You know, he's played a ton of snaps. I think he started something like 50 games or 40 played, def- definitely a lot. Uh, and specifically at right guard, which is where the Titans have their biggest hole right now in the offensive line. People talk about drafting Bradbury or, you know, I talk about drafting McCoy and sliding Ben Jones over. But Robinson has said before that he prefers guys who aren't projects if he's going to spend a first-round pick on them. So in my mind, I keep thinking as much as I would like for them to trade up and grab Oliver or Burns or one of those top defensive talents that are sliding, I can just as easily see them trading back down, picking Lindstrom up at 24 to 26, somewhere in that range, because he's just – He's an elite athlete, first of all, and he would fit this scheme perfectly. And he also has a tons of ties through Boston College to current Titans and, you know, Titans coaches. It just makes too much sense to me. Does that seem like an option to you? And if you had to pick, would you rather slide Jones over to guard and put Bradbury in at center or just draft Lindstrom and play Jones at center? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, I'm pretty much going to reiterate a lot of what you said. You know, if anyone is, you know, considering McCoy more than they are Lindstrom, um, I would think that's incorrect. You know, obviously the ties they have to Boston College are incredibly deep, right? With obviously, you know, Rabel, uh, you know, his son goes to Boston College. Not only does his son go there, but he plays offensive line. So here, you know, the, here's your head coach's son who's a teammate of this guy and yeah. can give you all the info you need in the world on him. And then obviously strength and conditioning coach, you know, Frank Perriano just came over from Boston College, take the same job with the Titans. So look, I don't think there's a team in the NFL who's going to know Lindstrom better than the Titans. And if they like him, then I I very much believe there's a high chance they're going to take him. Very good player. And I don't even think, you know, it has to be a trade-back scenario. I think if they like him, they're going to be very comfortable taking him at 19. I don't think it's going to be one of those cases where they're going to discuss value. You know, I think if, you know, Periano gives them a great review and, you know, I'm sure Rabel's going to talk to his kid. And if he gives them a great review on type of teammate he is, you know, sharing a position room with him and they work him out and they love the tape and they love the personality. And then I think it's a no brainer. You know, I, I always tell people, don't become infatuated with just value, value, value. Like if, if Lindstrom to you represents good value or great value at 26, then you take him at 19. You know, you don't let those teams between 20 and 25 get in the way of your guy. It's a silly mistake. It's a dangerous game to play and a silly mistake that you risk making. Um, I, I think he's a hell of a player. Like I said, I think they're going to know him very well. And if they like him, they'll take him at 19. Uh, you know, Phil's obviously probably the largest current hole they have on the roster. As much as we've talked about edge, you know, they don't really have anyone starting at right guard right now. You're looking at Levin or, or, or Pamphiel. I don't think it's going to be one of those guys on day one. So 
you know, here's a guy who, like you said, no, no wealth that fills the biggest hole on the roster. Um, for, to answer the second part of your question, I do like the idea better of Jones moving to guard. Uh, I think he's kind of struggled too much at center as of late. So I prefer a scenario where they draft Bradbury and move Jones to guard. But if it doesn't work out that way, I think they'll be very comfortable taking Lindstrom and keeping Jones at guard. Justin, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Before we let you go, let everyone know what you have on the horizon in terms of content and where they can find it. Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. I'm currently pulling double duty for DraftWire, which is part of USA Today's uh, sports media group Wire Network, as well as Music City Miracles, which is obviously the uh, Tennessee Titans outlet for SB Nation. A ton of content on the way, more big boards, more mock drafts. I've interviewed already 76 players in this class. Um, I've got so many that haven't been published yet. That I'm actually starting. I'm actually starting to worry that I'm going to run out of you know, and I'm actually going to run out of days. So I'm actually starting to publish two or three interviews a day, and I, I actually mean that. I've just I've got too many that haven't published. For I'm actually publishing <laughs> about two, three a day from now until the draft because they're going to be outdated in, in a few weeks. So a uh, ton of contact, ton more interviews. You know, I've already like I said I've interviewed 76 of them. Maybe 15 of them haven't even published yet potentially more uh, about to hop off the pole with you guys. I've got two right now. So going to finish the year at probably over 90 interviews um, with these prospects. Hopefully at least about 75 of them, I believe will get drafted. So very busy on that front and they can catch it all on Twitter. Justin M underscore NFL. Well, we, we keep up the good work and we always appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to help us out too. No, I appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take it easy. All right, we certainly thank Justin for joining us. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more draft content from the Titan Size Podcast as we get, what, two to three weeks away? It's crazy. Hmm. All right, see you guys next time. For Matias and Will, I'm Luke. We're out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.